Okay, turn with me to the scriptures. We're going to start in Hebrews chapter 11. That, that page should be worn out in your Bible. Hebrews chapter 11. How many of you know what uh, Hebrews chapter 11 is called? It's called the Faith Hall of Fame. And that's because uh, uh, the writer of Hebrews, which I believe was the Apostle Paul, wrote about the wrote about faith in particular, and then he went down through the annals of time of his of uh, Hebrew history, and started with Abel, <laughs> went all the way through the Bible talking about uh, people who did exploits and mighty things for God uh, by faith. Faith is an action word. Uh, you can't do exploits for God without faith. Faith is a, is a prerequisite for anything you do in God, with God, for God, by God, or in response to God. Amen? And we know that because Hebrews eleven six, which I want us to look at this morning, specifically says, without, uh, but without faith, it is impossible to please him. The him here is God himself. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, right now, we honor you and we hallow your name. We stand here in awe of you and deeply humbled that you would call us your sons and your daughters, that you would call us children. The privilege to be able to call you our Father was granted to us only by the sacrifice of Jesus. And we receive that sacrifice on our behalf. And we thank you, Father, that you've given us the opportunity to believe in Jesus. And thereby we become believers in all things that are of God. We pray, Lord, that our faith would be such that would please you. We pray, Father, that we would come to you in faith and that we would leave in faith and that we would walk in faith and operate in faith, and that our lives would be synonymous with faith in God. Of all the things that people could say about us when we depart this earth, I pray that they will say, this person had faith in God, or this person believed God. And all of our exploits, everything accomplished and done as a result of that is for your glory and, and not ours. But we know, Lord, that in so doing, we still receive reward from you. And our rewards are being laid up right now in heaven, where moth and rust do not corrupt and thieves cannot break in and steal. And they're awaiting us. And when we get there, it's going to be a, a special day of award ceremonies where we receive our just rewards, and we thank you for that, Father. We may not get recognition on the earth, we may not be rewarded by man, but we know that when we get to heaven, there is a day of just rewards 
And we, and we just thank you for that. We look forward to it, really, Lord. And we give you praise. And we just ask you right now, Father, anoint this time in the word that it might speak to the hearts of your people and bless us. And we give you praise in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. 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 Without faith, it is impossible to please him. Faith is required to please God. Faith is a requirement to walk with God. And uh, he even mentioned Enoch in here. And he said that uh, by faith, Enoch had this testimony that he pleased God. And he walked with God, and God took him. Enoch didn't die. He just took a step and he was gone. Amen? There's a thin veil between you and the eternal heavenlies. And we think they're far out in the way beyond the blue because that's the song, Way Beyond the Blue. Amen? So we think heaven and the things of heaven are way beyond the blue. But Enoch is just taking a walk with God and then he took the next step and he was, he was gone. He didn't disintegrate. He didn't explode. He didn't blow up. He just stepped through the veil. And God was there. God was with him on both sides of the veil. And he just, he just walked, walked through and, and joined the great cloud of witnesses. We see that same concept on the Mount of Transfiguration. When uh, Jesus went up to the top of the mountain and he took Peter, James, and John with him because he wanted them to see something. And boy, did they see something. A cloud settled down over, over the top of that mountain, and out of that cloud stepped Moses and Elijah. Just, just as healthy as ever. Amen. Thousands of years after they had died, or didn't die, as the case may be. And they step out of that cloud, they visit with Jesus, they have this conversation, Jesus glowed with the transfiguring presence of God on him. And then when it was over, they stepped back into the cloud, and the cloud lifted. Now, where were they? They were, they were just right there. And I, I think that's what Jesus is referring to when he said the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is within reach. Oh, it's right there. It's just, you know. When, it said, when, when you think something is at hand, that means you don't even have to get up and move towards it. You just reach out and there you are. I think all your loved ones that have gone on before you are just right there in that great cloud of witnesses. That's, good. That's comforting. Now, some folks, may, that may creep them out, you know, but it, it, they, mean, they mean well. <laughs> Amen. They're, they're cheering us on. And, but the things of eternal heaven are that close to us. And we know it, we realize it, and we enter into it by faith because we don't see it. The reason faith is required is because you don't see it. You can't test it in a test tube. So scientifically, you can't prove the things of God. To, to be able to, you know, do a scientific test, you've got to be able to recreate it in the laboratory. Well, you can't recreate the things of God in a laboratory. 
You have to take it by faith. God is a faith God. He operates by faith. And you're a faith people because you're the people of God. Faith does not equal certainty. Faith does not equal you having all everything figured out. Faith is not even based on accuracy. To walk by faith means you're going to bump into the walls once in a while. You're going to stumble once in a while. You're going to make a wrong turn, but you're, you're going to get there because you're walking by faith. Amen. And so without it, you can't even begin to please God. You can't even begin to know God. Where does faith come from? The Bible says it comes from God by the entrance of His Word. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. So when you hear the Word of God, in that seed of the Word of God is faith. And that is required. Faith is heaven's currency. Your dollars, your gold, your silver, your bonds won't get you diddly in heaven. But faith will. Faith is the only currency heaven recognizes. Now, now, heaven has gold. Heaven has silver and precious jewels. But that's what they use to pave their streets and to build their walls and their gates. Those are construction materials in heaven. The currency of heaven is faith. And you will not be able to operate in heaven without faith. So we need to learn how now. Amen? Because without it, you can't please God. But faith has many faces, and faith doesn't always look the same. I, I was reading through the 11th chapter of Hebrews, and it's amazing how different individuals in the Scriptures and throughout Hebrew history displayed faith differently. They, 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 operate, they all operated in faith. That's how they got in the 11th chapter of Hebrews. But they didn't do it the same way. Their, their faith didn't look like everybody else's faith. And your faith may not look like my faith. Your faith may be expressed differently than I would express my faith. There are many faces of faith. And you could take each individual in the 11th chapter of Hebrews, and you could come up with a different face or a different manifestation of faith. Now, I don't want to take the time to do that, but I am going to look at, oh, four or five of them. And let's start with Noah. Y'all remember Noah. Noah really existed. The flood really happened. You know, you can prove the flood scientifically. You can prove the flood archaeologically, geologically. Uh, paleontology proves the flood. Uh, that's the study of plants. You can prove the, the flood historically. Amen? And you can certainly prove it scripturally. The flood did happen. Noah was real. But let's look at what the scripture said about Noah in Genesis 6.22. God, God, in, in Genesis 6, God comes to Noah. He, 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 God had concluded that all the earth was evil and every human Every living thing, even the animals, all needed to be killed, eradicated. But he did find one man, Noah, who was righteous. And so he comes to righteous, uh, or Noah, 
he comes to Noah and he says, Noah, I'm going to destroy the earth. I'm going to destroy every living thing. I'm going to kill all the people with a flood. But he says, I, I, want, I want to preserve the human race by saving you and your family. Here's what I want you to do, Noah. I want you to build a boat. And he gave him the dimensions of the boat. He said, I want it to be made of these materials. And I want it to be sealed with, uh, uh, you know, asphalt, um, tar, and he, pitch. And he said, I mean, he gave him all the, all, he gave him the whole blueprints and told him to build it. And here's what Noah, I mean, can you imagine? Noah's hearing from God for the first time ever. And, and, and God's telling him it's going to rain. And he's thinking, what's rain? It's never rained before. And he says, build me a boat. And he said, what's a boat? So God describes it and says, I want you to build it like this. And here's his response. Genesis 6, Thus did Noah, according to all that God commanded him, so did he. You see, Noah's expression of faith was obedience. Amen. He, he, there's no argument. There's no, uh, uh, God, I have a better idea. <laughs> he wasn't like Ford. He didn't have a better idea. He just, God says, I want you to do this, and I want you to do this this certain way. And Noah did it. According to all that God commanded him, so did he. So you have obedient faith. Noah's faith was just obedient faith. And in the Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7, says, By faith Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet. See, faith is based upon things you don't see. Yeah. Noah, being warned of God of, of things not seen as yet, moved with fear. He acted on things that weren't seen yet, and he moved with fear. Everybody say fear. fear. Well, we learned on Wednesday night, we learned that fear is deep, deep respect. It's not terror, but it's, it's awe of God. He was in awe of God, and he had tremendous respect for God. And so when God told him to build an ark, he, even though he hadn't seen what God said was going to come to pass, never saw rain, had never been in a flood, and never... Saw a boat. So he built something he had never seen for an event that had never happened before uh, f on behalf of a God he had never seen. How many of you know that's faith? That's obedient faith. It's based, obedience is based upon the respect for God. If God says it, I believe it, and that settles it. And if God tells me to jump, I'll say how high. Amen? That's one, that's one face of faith, obedience. The next is, uh, is found with Abraham, and I call this one trusting faith. You've got obedient faith, and you've got trusting faith. Notice what happened with Abraham in Romans 4.20. It says, He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully persuaded that what he had promised he was able also to perform, and therefore it was imputed to him for righteousness. God had told Abraham, I'm going to give you a son. And what made that so fantastic was uh, he was an old man, and he was married to an old woman. 
They were in their 90s. Now, I asked Alexa, how old do you have to be to be old? And she said, 72. And I said, Alexa, do you know how old I am? And she said, you're 72. How did she know that? And I think she said, you're old when you're 72 because she knew I was 72. I think she's putting me down. But we all know that if you're in the 90s, you're old. And there's nothing wrong with it. There's no shame in it. Matter of fact, uh, there's a great accomplishment. It's a great accomplishment to live uh, another year. How many of you want to live another year? Oh, so you say you want to grow old. Okay. How is it that uh, we, we put down something that everybody wants? Everybody wants to grow old. Well, how about this? How many of you, when you're in your 90s, you want to start a new family? You want to have a baby. You want a crying baby. You're 90 years old, and you want a crying baby to wake you up in the middle of the night. Harold does. Lord, give it to him. Oh, his wife contradicts. His, his, his wife says no. You see, easy for Harold to say, but, you know, oh, yeah, we know. We know about the birds and the bees. Okay, look, look at Hebrews 11.8. <clears throat> says, By faith Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed. Oh, Abraham's faith caused him to obey. And he went out not knowing whither he went. Whoa. You know, Noah obeyed God because God told him what was going to happen and God told him what to do. But Abraham had a different face of faith, different kind of faith, in that he went out not knowing. He didn't know anything except that God told him to go. That's trust. See, trust is when you're blind to the details, but you put your life in the hands of another. You've seen the test that people give. You know, they, they, they're trying to teach someone how to be more trusting, and so they blindfold them, and they turn them around, and they say, now, I want you to fall backwards and, uh, and, and just trust that I will catch you. And so this blindfolded person, you know, just closes their eyes and falls back, and the person catches them. Have you all seen that? Well, I, I saw... <laughs> I saw a little cartoon the other day where somebody was doing that, you know, trying to teach them how to fall back and how to trust. And they said, okay. And that person misunderstood the rules and fell forward right on her face. And, uh, and so, you know, you still got to listen. You, you, can't, you can't trust somebody and then not listen to them. Amen. And all the problems Abraham had after that moment that he trusted God and left home and went out into where he didn't know, all the problems he had was when he didn't trust God or when he didn't listen to God. But as long as he was listening to God and obeying God, he was blessed and God blessed him and made him rich. He became the richest, most powerful man in the world at that time. Even kings were afraid of him. Yeah, we have a story where he's, he's down in Egypt and, and, and Pharaoh is terrified of him. You know, God put the fear in him. You see, trusting God 
means I believe that God is going to take care of me and he's going to take care of all the circumstances concerning me. Yes. Amen. So that, that's an act of faith. faith. Faith obeys and faith also trusts God. Amen. Do you trust God? Do you trust God even if you were blindfolded? blindfolded would you trust God to jump to leap or to fall back? You know, God's never let me down. And there's enough experience in this room. There's hundreds of years of experience in this room following God. And no one, I, I've heard no one ever say, God let me down. Amen. Even when we, the times when we thought God let us down, we were wrong. Amen. We found out he, he was there all the time. So another person that we want to talk about a different kind of faith is Gideon. And Gideon had uncertain or unsure faith. Gideon had faith, in, he had faith, but his faith was a little, uh, you, know, um, you know, scary, afraid, timid, uncertain, unsure. I think we all f fall in that category from time to time. Where, yeah, we believe God, but we're a little shaky. God's telling us to do something, and we want, we want uh, two or three confirmations. It's like when God began to speak to me about moving to Jacksonville in 1995. I, I, was, I was pastoring a wonderful church, a wonderful group of people. And, uh, and we had, you know... <clears throat> We had the best people in the world, you know, farmers and ranchers and people like that coming to the church. And they loved the Lord. They loved the Word. They would listen to me preach for an hour and a half, two hours, and come back the next time. I mean, they, they were great folks. Some of them are sitting here in this room with us right now. And, uh, and I mean, we were rocking along there, you know, we, we, doing things for God. And the Lord started speaking to me about moving here. And one of the first things I said was, you know, Lord, if that's you, and you really want me to do it, I'll do it. But I need confirmations. First of all, I need you to tell my wife. Amen. Secondly, I need, I, need, uh, I need outside confirmation. I, I need the people that, I, uh, that I'm accountable to, to confirm it. And at that time, uh, you know, my two main counselors were Jim Maloney and Don Norman. Well, Jim Maloney, he prayed about it and called me back, and he says, I believe this is God. Don Norman said, stay in Broken Bow. <laughs> well, I immediately discerned why. It was because he knew more about this situation here than I did. He knew the people, the principals involved and all that, and he knew they weren't trustworthy mm -hmm. and also that church was the fa his favorite church to go to he loved going to broken bow the people loved him and 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 uh, it was just like a perfect match and he had some of his best meetings we had some great times with him there and he didn't want to give that up he didn't want me to quit being a senior pastor and come here and be a an associate pastor because he knew that the associate pastor doesn't get to invite the guest speakers. Jim Maloney didn't care. You know, but Don did. But anyway, I guess y'all know whose advice I took. 
I'm here, right? But God confirmed it to my wife. He confirmed it to my children. He confirmed. But I was, I was, you know, I didn't want to make a mistake. And so, you know, Gideon is kind of in this category. You know the story. I talked to last week about how God called him when he was in the wine press. Well, now God is getting ready to send him out against the Midianites with 300 people. And so he, uh, he, he's, he's got, you know, shaky faith. He's unsure. And so he, he uh, uh, in Judges chapter 6, verse 36, Gideon said to God, If thou wilt save Israel by my hand, as you have said, behold, I will put a fleece of wool in the floor, and if the dew be on the fleece only, and it be dry upon all the earth beside, then shall I know that thou wilt save Israel by my hand, as thou hast said. So he, he put a little test out there for God. And it was so, for he rose up early on the morrow and thrust the fleece together and wrung the dew out of the fleece, a bowl full of water. God did it. And that's all Gideon needed to have confidence that God was telling him to go to battle. Nope. Nope. Gideon said to him, said to God, let not thy anger be hot against me. Yeah, he's kind of sheepish. Don't be mad. And I will speak but this once. Let me prove, I pray thee, but this once with the fleece. Let it now be dry only upon the fleece, and upon all the ground let there be dew. And God did so that night. For it was dry upon the fleece only, and there was dew on all the ground. Now, this tells you something about God. God is not put off by your uncertainty, by your unsure faith. God will give you, He will give you confirmations. Amen? Now, I don't think this is the kind of faith that pleases God the most. And it's dangerous faith because... Uh, those who put out fleeces can be fleeced, and you don't see it. You don't see this in the New Testament, but in the Old Testament, where people didn't know God, they didn't have the Word of God, they didn't have they didn't have a whole lot going, you know, for them to know not experiences. I can understand. I can understand a new Christian putting fleeces out, but a mature Christian needs to grow beyond that. Amen. But, but, it does, but there's no condemnation. If your faith is unsure and a little shaky and weak, God's not going to slap you upside the head. He's not going to reject you. God works with people where they are. Amen. Can you say amen? amen? So if God's telling you to do something and you're a little uncertain about it, God will work with you. <coughs> amen? Excuse me. Got that tickle going there. Okay. So we've got, we've got obedient faith. Noah is our example. Trusting faith. That's Abraham. And unsure faith. That's Gideon. <laughs> How many of you know he went out and fought the battle and won the victory? And God got the glory and Gideon became the, the judge of Israel. Let's look at uh, another kind of, kind of a different kind of faith. And that's the Shunammite woman. In 2 Kings chapter 4. The Shunammite woman is a woman that couldn't have children 
and the pro she went to the prophet. The prophet prayed for, blessed her, whatever, and she had a son, and it was he was a miracle son. And then uh, as time went by, the little boy grew up, and he was running around, and and uh, one day he had he had some kind of uh, aneurysm or something in his head, and he said, "My head hurts, my head hurts," and and uh, and soon after that he died. And so. Well, let me read you the story. Second Kings chapter 4, verse, we'll start with just verse 25. So she went and came unto the man of God to Mount Carmel. And it came to pass when the man of God saw her afar off that he said to Gehazi, his servant, Behold, yonder is that Shunammite. Run now, I pray thee, to meet her and say unto her, Is it well with you? Is it well with thy husband? Is it well with the child? See, Elijah saw her coming, and there was something in Elijah that alerted him to the fact that uh, this was uh, an emergency situation. So he sent Gehazi to run out and meet her before she gets there and to ask these questions. Are you okay? Is your husband okay? Is, is your son okay? I want you to notice her answer. She answered, it is well. Now, what kind of faith is that? You might be thinking, that's lying faith. No. I, I call it quiet faith. She's not, she's not frantic. She's not blaming God. She's not angry. She's, not, she's, she's being in complete control of her emotions. This is a woman with an only child that she got miraculously from God. And now the child has died, and she's in control of her emotions. She's being quiet before God. So I call it quiet faith. Amen? How, how many of you remember what happened? Elijah goes to the house. He sees the boy lying dead on the bed. And he lies down on top of the boy and breathes into him and raises him from the dead and presents him back to mama, healed, healed. She did, he didn't just recover him from death, but he was healed. Whatever killed him was not there anymore. Amen? Quiet faith is powerful faith. See, when we panic and we blubber and we start blaming and accusing and getting all mad and huffy and, and, and going out of our mind, what are we saying to God? God, I don't trust you. I don't believe you. But when we're quiet in those moments, we're saying, God, it looks bad, it is bad, but you're bigger than that. And that was her approach. And it worked for her. I mean, that, that's a great example of faith. Years ago, I was pastoring in East Texas near Dallas, and we had this couple in our church, and they were renting a house. And uh, this rent house was a step above a tar paper shack. I mean, it, it wasn't much at all. But all their belongings were in there. And, uh, you know, by that I mean their ratty furniture, their ratty clothes, and their picture albums. 
and, and, and their Bibles. And we're having a Christmas party at the church. And you know, we've got buffet style, you know, and we're out, you know, we're eating. We got this big feast, you know, cherry ham, turkey, all, I mean, it, it was great. We were having a great time. And uh, uh, we get this phone call on the landline because back in those days, we didn't have a cell phone. The phone rang. It actually rang on the wall. And I answer it, and it was, it was for, for them. And so I, I said, this is for you. And it was the fire department. Their house was on fire. Well, by the time we got to their house, it had burned to the ground. And this lady, you would have think she had lost a mansion full of priceless treasures because she fell on the ground and went berserko and squalled and bawled and just lost it. I wanted to slap her. I said, and I thought, I wasn't as tactful then as I am now. I said, I said, the stuff you've lost is easily replaced. I said, you didn't lose your life. You didn't lose one of your children. You didn't lose anything that cannot be replaced. But my, my children's baby pictures, my children's, you know, and I said, well, I'm sorry about that. And, I, and I, I, here's what I told them. I said, within two weeks, you're going to have a better place to live. You're going to have better furniture, you're going to have better clothes, you're going to have better food. In two weeks, you're going to realize this was a blessing and not a curse. Because the community was going to just pour out in their compassion and, and start blessing. And that's exactly what happened. They wound up living in Don and Becky Cameron's four-bedroom brick house on the hill because they were in Haiti doing missions work. They were, they'd moved to missions to Haiti, and they wound up driving Don's car, living in Don Cameron's house that was fully furnished and equipped, and people had brought them all kinds of clothes and stuff, and stuffed cash in their pockets. In spite of her faith. <laughs> But see, I had, faith, I had faith in God. I also had faith in the community Amen. and the church. I'm telling you what, folks. Even when disaster happens, Amen. that happened to the Shunanite woman, when disaster strikes, be quiet. Be quiet before the Lord. And just watch and see what God is going to do. Because God is going to do something. Amen? We had disaster strike our, our house Thursday night. Ruth and I are sitting there in our faux leather recliners. And I noticed I was starting to stick to it. I was starting to sweat and stick to my, you know. I thought, it's getting hot in here. Ruth went and checked the thermostat and it was, you know, like 80 degrees in there. And uh, the air conditioner wasn't working. How many of you know in Jacksonville, Florida in the summertime, that's a disaster? Especially if you're married to a woman. And, uh, and, and it was about 11 o'clock at night, Thursday, Thursday night. 11 o'clock at night, Thursday night. 
we realize the air conditioner is not working. And so we have a couple fans, so we get the fans out, you know, and, and we didn't open any doors or windows. We kept what was in there in there, and we just started circulating it. And I sent a text to the landlord. His name's Brian. I said, Brian, our air conditioner's messed up, and it's hot in here. And 7 o'clock the next morning, this is 11 o'clock at night, 7 o'clock the next morning, the air conditioning man knocks at our door. And he starts checking out, and he says, oh, this is what's wrong with it. You know, the, the, the fan motor is out. It's fried. We're going to have to get a new fan motor. But it's a carrier, and we'll not be able to get one until Monday. And we can't tell you what time on Monday. So you'll have to be home all day Monday, and I'll show up sometime. And we'll, we can fix this. And this is Friday morning, 7 o'clock. So we got all day Friday, all day Saturday, all day Sunday. And I'm thinking, it's going to get hot in this house. How many of you know that's a disaster? <clears throat> so, so I go down to Home Depot, and I start looking around at portable air conditioners and things. And Man, these portable air conditioners, these water-cooled portable air conditioners are three, four, five hundred $500. I'm thinking... For a weekend? <laughs> no, I don't think so. And at, I, I turned around, I was getting ready to leave, and I saw something on a shelf that was for $159. And it was a refrigerated window unit. And it was small, but I thought, you know, all I need is to cool one room. And uh, then we can get the fans and blow it around to wherever else we need. And so, so I take that to the register, and she says, you know, if you'll sign up for a Home Depot card, I can give you $50 off. I said, sign me up. And in, in my mind, I thought, it's a trap, it's a trap. It's, don't give a man a Home Depot card, right? So, but, so I got that for $119. Came home, 30 minutes later, it's in the window blowing cold air. And my wife thinks I'm a hero. Well, how many of you know, you know, God helped me in that. God, God helped me in that. And, uh, and it'll get fixed. And since we're renters and not owners, somebody else is going to pay for that. That guy told me he gets $150 to come out and then $150 an hour while he's out there. And, uh, and, and that don't count the parts, and that don't count. And I'm thinking, boy, I'm glad I'm not paying for this. Benefit for being a renter and not an owner. Okay, anyway. Plus, I get to sit on the porch, drink tea, and watch them mow the grass. Praise God. One of these days, I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to go park my car, get my tea, and go park my car, you know, in front of Harold Wilson's house or Robert Fellow's house and watch them mow their grass and just sip my tea and think, yeah. People look down on renters. But you know, there's a certain time in your life where, you know, disasters can happen. And somebody's got to fix it, somebody's got to pay for it. And I'm just thankful for where I am in life right now. So praise God. But uh, 
That quiet, that quiet faith moves God. I'm telling you, when, you, when, when, you con when God sees you control your emotions and control your fears and not lose it, I'm telling you, that impresses God. Because you're saying, God, it looks bad, but I trust you. And we all need the faith of the Shunammite woman. Amen? We all need that faith. Praise God. And then, then I want to talk to you about bold faith. Now, when you say bold faith, you've got you to be talking about Peter, right? You've got to be talking about Peter. Bold faith. Matthew 14, verse 28. Peter answered Jesus. Remember, they're in the boat. Jesus comes walking on the water. They think he's a spook. And uh, he cries out, don't be afraid, it's just me. And so Jesus says, well, if it's you, <laughs> bid me come unto thee on the water. And Jesus said, come. And on the basis of that one word, come, Peter went down out of the ship and he walked on the water to go to Jesus. Now that's bold. That's bold faith. Where were the other disciples? They were, they were in the boat watching the show. But bold faith will get you out of the boat doing something that you cannot do in front of all your friends who are afraid to try it. Amen? Amen? Amen. And I, I want to have that water walking kind of faith. Now everybody always, they always, you know, key in on the negative. Well, he sank. Well, he had to be out there to sink. And he didn't stay sunk. Jesus picked him up, and together they walked back to the boat. So Peter literally walked on the water twice. He had a little sinking spell. But he walked out there, and he walked back by putting his faith and trust boldly in what Jesus said. Jesus said, come, and man, on that one, he came. I mean, that's bold faith. Now, we can fault Peter for other things he did later and all that. But when the day of Pentecost came and he got full of the Holy Ghost, who stood up in front of the people, the very people that killed Jesus, and said, this same Jesus whom you killed, God has raised up of whom we're witnesses, and by faith in him does this man stand before you whole. That's bold faith. Those are the same people he denied Jesus in front of just, just days before. Bold faith. And they said, it says there in, in Acts, it says, and they perceiving or seeing the boldness of Peter and John figured out that he had been with Jesus, that they'd been with Jesus. You see, faith needs to be bold. And the more you're with Jesus, the bolder your faith will get. Praise God. I could preach all day on that. Amen. But understand that, that everything we do requires faith. Let's go back to Hebrews 11.1, 1, and let's see what faith is. I know you can quote this, but bear with me. Quietly bear with me. Hebrews 11.1, 1, Now faith is... I can't tell you how many people I've heard preach on whole sermon on the word now. And a whole sermon on whole sermons on the word now faith is, you know, those are important words there. Now, see, faith is now. Now faith is. It's something you've got right now. 
It's not, it's not God's going to do something. It's God is. Remember, he that cometh to God must believe that he is. Not that he's going to be. Not that someday in the by and by, but now. See, faith is something that operates right now, irregardless of the circumstances. Faith is not affected by circumstances. It's affected by God, the one you put your faith in. Now, faith is the substance. Substance means something solid. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. So faith is something that, that you exercise when you don't see it and don't necessarily tangibly possess it. So you don't have concrete assurance in terms of being able to put your hand on it. Uh, Jesus, you know, Jesus or Paul, I forget which one, said if you, if you see it, then it's not faith anymore. If you already have it in your hand, then it's not faith anymore. It's not something you're hoping for if you've already got it. Amen? You're not hoping for that chair you're sitting in. You're sitting in it. Some people say it requires faith to sit in it. Yeah, a certain amount, you know, to sit in and believe that it's not going to crash to the floor. But once you've sat there a few times, a few services, you know, you don't even think about it anymore. You just come in and sit in that chair. That's not faith. Well, it might be a tiny little bit. But it's not, it's not going to move God. Amen. Well, I really, I really impressed God today. I, I went to church and sat in that chair. No, we, we're beyond that, folks. You know, our, our faith has got to go way beyond that. Amen? And so... Uh, you need to understand that faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. It's the operate, you know, and, and this is how we operate it with God. This is how we get along with God, even in spiritual gifts. So what, what are you saying, Pastor? Salvation is by grace through what? Faith. So when you got saved, you didn't feel saved, you didn't see saved, you didn't hold saved in your hand and examine it before you took it. You had to receive your salvation by faith. Somebody shared with you the, the gospel, the Roman road, the word of God. It created faith in you, and you took that faith and you, you, you believed and received Jesus as your Lord and Savior you believed your sins were forgiven, and by faith, you believed you were saved. No faith, no salvation. Amen. It's the same way with the baptism in the Holy Spirit. You hear the word, and you find out that God wants to put his Holy Ghost inside of you. And he wants to pour it in and pour it in and pour it in and pour it, pour it until you're full of the Holy Ghost and, and until you're overflowing with the Holy Ghost until the Holy Ghost impermeates your every fiber of your being. That's called baptizing, baptism. You're soaked in it. God wants to soak you with his Holy Spirit. And you hear that and you believe that and you say, well, 
I'm going to receive that. And so by faith, you say, Lord, I, I, I ask for and I receive the full baptism of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, yeah. Amen. And then somebody tells you, well, now you can speak in tongues. Amen. Maybe they will. You may speak in tongues immediately. I, I've seen people, they get saved and they start speaking in tongues. They don't, they've never even heard of tongues. It is possible for you to get saved, baptized in the Holy Spirit, speak in tongues, and even prophesy, and not even know what you're doing, not even have any schooling or understanding about it. It's in the book of Acts. They hadn't even heard there was a Holy Spirit. In Ephesus, Paul says, Have, have, have you received the Holy Spirit since you believed? And they said, We never even heard there was a Holy Spirit. He lays hands on them, and they not only receive the Holy Spirit, they all start speaking in tongues and prophesying. Twelve men prophesying. They never heard there was a Holy Ghost, never spoke in tongues, never heard anybody else speak in tongues, and never heard anything about prophesying. And they received, spoke in tongues, and prophesied all in the same instant. See, we think we got to have it all figured out up here. The more you have it figured out up here, the less you're going to have it in here. Amen. Turn your noggin off. <laughs> Amen. I had a guy in Haiti, uh, me and Bob Brown were praying for people to receive the Holy we were We were having a water baptism service. Bob Brown hauled the tank all the way from Jacksonville. He got it at uh, uh, Tractor Supply. Hauled it all the way from Jacksonville to Haiti so we could have a baptism service. This is when I first met Bob. And, uh, and so uh, we started, there's this church that had, they had six or seven people that needed to be baptized. And so we went out on Saturday morning, just a few of us, just a handful of us, John Charles, uh, me, Bob, John Armour was there. And we, we're going to, we get in one car and we're going to go out there. And they had already, they'd already filled the baptistry from the well by hand and uh, and so uh, we went and here were these people and uh, uh, somebody asked they asked me if I would explain to them what water baptism is all about so I explained to those th those handful of people and we started baptizing them well suddenly we look around and people other people are there and they're getting saved and they're wanting to be baptized so we baptize them. Well, more people hearing about it, they all come in, and they want to get saved. I, I, think, that, I think that day before we left, they were still baptizing people after we left. But before we left, we had baptized about 38 people. And most of them hadn't, weren't saved that morning at breakfast. Well, in the middle of all that, uh, John Charles says, we need to get things done here in order. Uh, this group over here is going to pray them through salvation. The, uh, this group is going to baptize them. And, and Brother Ron, I want you and Bob Brown to lay hands on them to receive the Holy Spirit. So after they're dripping wet, we get them over there. They're dripping wet. They just got out of the baptistry. And we're praying with them to receive the Holy Spirit. And our interpreter is this young guy. He's helping us, praying with us. And uh, uh, this girl, she's pregnant, out of wedlock. She gets saved. They baptize her pregnant self in the, in, the, in the tank. She comes up out of the tank speaking in tongues. And our interpreter gets furious. He says, I've been seeking the baptism of the Holy Spirit for 20 years. How come this tramp, 
That's what he called her. How come this tramp? I know her. I know what she's done. She got pregnant by the pastor. Oh, man, it, this was a scandal. But he knew all about it. How come she can speak in tongues and I can't? And I said, how many languages do you speak? And he said, seven. And he started rattling them off. I speak French. I speak Creole. I speak uh, uh, English. I speak Spanish. I speak Portuguese. I, he, I, this guy was brilliant. And I said, that's your problem. You're too smart. I said, you think speaking in tongues is just like you learning another language. And it is another language, but it's not one you have in your head. It's one you have in your heart. And I, and I reached over and on his forehead, and I said, let's turn your brain off. Click. Now let's turn your heart on. Click. And we're going to pray for you again. And we laid hands on him. He starts speaking in tongues. And uh, it was funny. I heard this voice behind me just speaking in tongues like, I mean, like a freight train. I turned around, and it was the lawyer, the attorney, Bob Brown. And that, that's, that's when I, I, I said, I love this guy, you know. And, of course, y'all have met Bob. I don't know why I told that story. Why did I tell that story? Oh, you don't, you don't have to understand it or have it all figured out. Faith doesn't require that. Faith requires obedience over accuracy. Faith requires trust over certainty. I heard this this week. I heard, I heard a, a preacher say, You must judge a prophet false if his prophecy does not come to pass. You must judge a prophet false if his prophecy does not come to pass. And then he went on to say, there's a lot of false prophets, so-called prophets out there that are just prophesying a bunch of junk. And the Bible does warn about false prophets in the last days. And he said, before you say something that you're going to say is from the Lord, he said, you need to be 100% sure. I read that. That was on Facebook. A friend of mine. Who's, who's got a church of, big church, by our standards, over 100 people. And I told Ruth, I said, this is dangerous. I said, what that man has done, he's effectively squelched the, the gifts of the Spirit from operating in his church. Because his people are going to read this, and they're going to say, Pastor demands that we be 100% sure it's from God before we do it. Well, if you follow through on that, then you're not in faith. Y'all understanding what I'm saying? Faith is not 100% for sure. Faith does not require accuracy or certainty. If that were the case, Gideon wouldn't have had faith. Noah wouldn't have had faith. Abraham wouldn't have had faith. David wouldn't have had faith. None of them would have had faith. Because if you examine their lives and examine what they did, they were not 100% certain. 
that takes it completely out of the realm of faith. And you cannot operate in the gifts of the Spirit if you think you have to absolutely be 100% sure and not make any mistake. The first time I ever gave out a message in tongues in church was on a Sunday night in my home church that I grew up in, Assembly of God Church. I'm sitting on the back row. It's, an, it's after the service. People are in the altars praying. The pastor's wife was praying the, playing the piano. It is one of those times when people are just in, in the presence of God and they're just praying. And suddenly, I knew that I had a, 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 a gift in tongues. I knew God wanted me to speak out. And I'd never done it before. I'm 13 years, I'm 14 years old. How old are you, Chase? 14. That's me right back there, sitting on the back row. But I, I, and I, I'm thinking, Lord, is this you? I said, how come you didn't call him one of the deacons? I mean, I'm, and I'm, I'm, I'm sensing like pressure bubbling up on the inside of me. And it's in my throat now. And I'm, I'm, I'm like, God, are, are you sure, God? You know, I'm, and, and, I, and then I had a sudden sense that if I don't do it, I will be disobedient. I began, I began to have a fear or, or a, a reverential awe of God. I didn't want to disappoint God. And so I stood up and I let her rip. You know. Except not that eloquently. I was shaking all over. When I finished, I sat down. I bowed my head. And I said, oh, God, please, God, please, God. Oh, God, please, God. Have somebody interpret. Oh, God. You know, never even occurred to me that I should pray for the interpretation also. But I wasn't there yet. It was all I could do just to give out the tongues part. And some folks never grow past that. God wants you to grow past that. And I'm, just, I, I'm scared to death no one's going to interpret it. And then all of a sudden, my pastor got up, stood behind the pulpit, and interpreted. I could not tell you what the interpretation was because I'm just over there rejoicing that it got interpreted. I didn't care what it said. I, I, didn't, you know, I, wasn't, I wasn't there. I was just so glad the spotlight wasn't on me. 14 years old. Now, you think I understood at 14 how the, all the ins and outs of the operations of the gifts of the Spirit? You think I knew everything I know today? Hardly. But I, I, to this day, I can, I can feel how hard it was for me to take that step of faith and do it and trust. But see, I was in my home church with my people and my pastor, and they all loved me. I had family there. They, I, was in a, I was in a safe environment. I knew they wouldn't tar and feather me, but I thought they might think about it. You know what I'm saying? And, and after the service was over, my pastor came up, and he was a very tall, dark-haired. He, he looked like, remember the pictures of Jesus that people used to hang on the wall? And he's praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. You know, and he's got this mustache and beard. and He looked just like that guy. 
They might have used him as a model when they painted it. He looked just like Jesus. Matter of fact, I thought for years growing up, my mother would say, let's go to church. We, let's go see Jesus. And I'd get there, and there he was. We had his picture on our wall. And I just knew he was Jesus. But I had this respect for him. And, and, and I do to this day, even though he's gone to be with the Lord. But he came up after the service, put his hand on my shoulder, and he said, thank you for being obedient. You see, faith is obedient. Obedience is faith. Amen? But was I certain? Absolutely not. Did I take a chance? Oh, yeah. Could I have failed? Yeah. And I have failed many times since then. Same way with prophecy. And by the way, the Bible does not say if a, if a prophet's words don't come to pass, stone him. It doesn't say that. It says if someone, if someone prophesies and says it's, it's from God and it doesn't work out the way he said it was, he, 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 he shall die. But it didn't say you're the one that's going to kill him. I, I looked it up. It doesn't say for you to kill him. If that were the case, they, well, they did. They did stone all the prophets. But not because their prophecies didn't come to pass, because they didn't like what they were prophesying. But I, I want to tell you something. I, I, Elijah prophesied that the dogs would eat, the, the, eat Jezebel. And they did, but it was after he died. He didn't see that prophecy fulfilled. It, it happened after he died. Does that make him a false prophet? How about Isaiah? Isaiah prophesied in Isaiah 53 the coming of the Messiah and his death. That was thousands of years before Jesus came. Was I, but if we were using the same judgment criteria as we're using on prophets today, we would stone Isaiah. We would say Isaiah needs to shut up. And there cannot be false prophets if they're not real prophets. A false prophet is, is a counterfeit of the real. Everybody's focusing on the false prophets and they're paying no attention to the real ones. And prophets have to prophesy in faith. So they have to learn too. And they can't have certainty. I, I, you know, prophets, I heard them talk. And, and they talk about how we prophesy in part, we see in part, we prophesy in part. Isn't that from the Scripture? Well, how can you, how can you be 100% accurate and 100% certain if you prophesy in part? You see, what that pastor said, and I know his whole congregation read it on his Facebook page, what that pastor said sounded good, and I know he meant it, he meant it well, but the effect of what he said is going to quench the Spirit in his church. And that's what's happened to many so-called Pentecostal churches all over the world. The pastors have got up and said, that's out of order, this is out of order, you don't do that. And, they, and they've chastised their own people for stepping out in faith and attempting to do something. And the pastors aren't willing to let them make a mistake. Amen? I want you to know, as your pastor in this church, if you want to prophesy, if you want to give messages in tongues, if you want to move in the gifts of the Spirit, I'm not going to stand in your way. And if you fall flat on your face, 
I'm going to pick you up and I'm going to say, good try. Let's go. Let's try again next time. Because I don't want you, I don't want you to neglect the gifts that are in you. That were put there by God himself. But it requires faith for you to begin to operate in those gifts. And by the way, I'm 72 years old, many years after 14. I still have to do it in faith. 